Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and thank you so much for joining me. Now today we speak to Johnny Balmer from Alchemy Audio in Chicago, the Windy City. Johnny and I talk about one of my favorite things, guitar pedals. And more besides, Alchemy Audio does a lot of mods and repairs and some original designs as well. So Johnny's a really great guy, really passionate about it, and we had a great conversation. Now before we get to that, I want to give a shout out to Michael Fix, our friend who we interviewed in episode 3 of the podcast. Now Michael's just been nominated this week for another Golden Guitar Award at the Tamworth Country Music Festival coming up in January 2017. Now this is no biggie, Michael's already won three of these things. In fact, he holds, uh, he shares the record for the most Golden Guitars for instrumental release. He shares that award with Keith Urban. A little bit controversially, because Keith has got two golden guitars for the same piece of music, apparently. All right, so unofficially, I'm already giving it to Michael. But um, if he wins this, obviously, he's the outright leader in that category, which is a fantastic achievement. Michael's a fantastic guitar player, and the track that was nominated uh, is called Cosmopolitan Blues, which is from his latest album, Bending Air. Now, Michael not only plays beautiful finger style on his Mason Michael Fix signature model, but he also plays some dobro and banjo and electric guitar on this track as well. With Michael's kind permission, uh, I'm going to show you a little bit of that track now. Check it out. go just a little bit of cosmopolitan blues by michael fix hey definitely check out his new album bending air it's fantastic great composition but i love the tones as well that that acoustic just sounds brilliant and uh i don't know what electric guitar he's got but that is a tasty tone right there thanks michael love your work good luck in january hey speaking of tamworth our friend jane denham is uh, putting together a show for the Tamworth Country Music Festival called Women That Rock. And it's got a couple of our friends, Michael Katselos from Stormfront Touring playing guitar. He is such a great guitar player. He was uh, ripping at the Gary Moore Remembered gig a couple of months ago. And Griff on the bass. We love Griff and Tox on the kit. Great band, killer band. And Jane absolutely rocks. So that's a show definitely worth checking out if you're up at Tamworth in January as well. 
All right, now at the end of the show, stick around because I'm going to play you a track from 442 Music's latest Christmas album. Who is 442 Music, you ask? I'll tell you who they are. They're an independent record label in Sydney and they do some really cool uh, independent stuff, stuff like Telefonica, great indie pop band, uh, Andy Ratson, great electronic music icon in, in Sydney and Australia and around the world. Uh, and each year they do a very quirky, very unconventional, very un-Westfield shopping centre Christmas album, um, which is awesome. So I'm going to play uh, uh, one of the more guitar-y tracks. So stick around for that. But now onto our interview with Johnny Balmer. As I mentioned, he's the head of Alchemy Audio in Chicago, really into pedals, really doing some awesome things there. And uh, it, was, it was great to chat with him. So here we go. Here's my interview with Johnny Balmer. All right, Johnny Balmer, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Great to have you. Hey, you, uh, I know you play guitar. I'm just wondering what came first, though. Was it electronics or guitar playing? Um, I play guitar not as much as I would like to for pleasure. I, I used to play in bands when I was younger. Now it's more just uh, when I'm testing stuff out at the shop or uh-huh. not working on gear. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I wish I played more for just the pure joy of it rather than because I'm testing out some pedal or something that I'm working on. <laughs> sure. Sure. You, um, you were doing some pretty big gigs back in the day. I think I've heard somewhere. Um, well, I, I grew up in Minneapolis. I live in Chicago now, which is where Alchemy Audio is based. Um, Minneapolis is about six hours North of, uh, Chicago, uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, probably most famously known for being the hometown of Prince, yes. um, as well as, you know, replacements and some other groups. Um, I was more into like hard rock and, and kind of, you know, metal back in the nineties when I was really active and playing in bands and, uh, you know, so guns and roses and stuff like that was kind of at the peak of their popularity. And, mm-hmm. and that was, uh, certainly an influence. And uh, so I guess regionally we were pretty popular. We didn't tour extensively and never got to the point of where we got a record deal or anything like that. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we played pretty actively in and around Minneapolis. And uh, I guess probably the best, the biggest band that we opened up for was uh, Wasp at the time, if you remember those guys. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> Was it, um, who was the guy, who was the guitar player in, in Wasp? Was it, um, well, uh, Blackie Lawless was that's the it, that's it. main guy and he switched from, uh, bass to guitar, I believe. Okay, cool. Chris Holmes was the lead guitar player during their, their heyday when oh, they were. That's right. Yeah. So I know, I know there's some funny video footage of him floating around, uh, currently. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever see that movie, The Metal Years? I've seen bits uh, of it, yeah. Part of the Western Civilization. The and there's yeah, a pretty, yeah, yeah. Pretty famous scene of him uh, sitting in a pool, intoxicated at his mom's house and uh, making not much sense. <laughs> <laughs> that can happen. Yeah. I guess that can happen. What were you um, What were you playing then? What was your rig like? Uh, Les Pauls, which yeah. I wish I didn't get rid of. I, I, I know where one is still. There's a, a friend of mine that bought a 
early seventies black one from me. I think it was a standard. Wow. Uh, he, he still plays to this day. So I'm, I'm glad it's in good hands and that he's making music with it. And yeah. it, it helps, uh, make the fact that I sold it, uh, a little easier to swallow. <laughs> uh, Marshall's I know I had at, at some point I had, a. Probably, I, I don't know the exact year because it goes back so far, but it, probably early 70s, uh, I believe it was 100 watt that had been modified. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, probably more than what we needed for the venues we were playing, sure. but uh, that is not, uh, that's often the case with people. Um, I know there was a rat that was always uh, kind of a, a mainstay in the rig, so oh, yeah. I would... I, play with a, an old Proco rat. I know there was a time when I was, you know, like a lot of people from that era were using uh, rack gear. So I know I had a, one of those ADA tube preamps. Oh, yep, yep. Remember those? Yeah. The MP1, I think. I, I still have one in the shop that I plan on uh, kind of fixing up. And I, I wanted to kind of put together an old, you know, like 80s uh, hard rock hair metal rig, <laughs> rack cool. rig. And, yes. Uh, pretty sure there was probably an Alesis quadriverb in there at some oh, point. Of course. Like, yep. Yep. And like a Yamaha SPX ninety. Uh-huh. Uh You know, the bigger the the rack, the better. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you'd um like a lot of guys will just use one rack for one effect only because right because right. they love the SPX chorus better than the quadriverb and. Yeah, I think it was just for one more so, unit, but yes, that's cool. But for the most part, I was pretty traditional with just you know Les Pauls into Marshalls, uh, not too many effects. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, the Les Pauls you probably couldn't give them away until Guns and Roses kind of hit, and then yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I and I always loved them. I mean, you know, obviously the you have to deal with the weight. So the older I get, the less interested I am in playing. <laughs> really excessively heavy guitars but uh that's that's where the tone comes from i think often is when you've got a nice chunk of wood that that has some weight to it Uh uh-huh awesome and were you um were you messing around with electronics at that stage as well yeah that's where it kind of began for me is uh i always had an interest in it and i'm you know primarily self-taught so I would, uh, you know, the, the, the Bible for a lot of us that do this type of work is the Greg Anderton book, Electronic Projects for Musicians. Oh, and yeah, the guitar, he was in guitar play for a long time, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And projects. so, uh, yeah. you know, there were a lot of projects in there that you could, you know, build your own boost or build your own fuzz and, cool. and uh, kind of dabbled in some of that. And then just... Uh, knowing how to solder so that you could fix, you know, guitar cables when they would break or, you know, do some of that stuff. So that's kind of where it started. And then, uh, later on I did go to school for audio recording and got more into the studio and engineering side of it. And that's where it kind of went to the next level where I was doing a lot of, you know, building wiring harnesses. I still remember there was a summer I spent, uh, in a recording studio in Minneapolis where they just got a brand new uh, mixing board and we had to build a you know a new wiring harness for it. And so it was just endless hours of soldering connectors on the cables and holding it from scratch. So 
definitely had an interest in it and then and then later on uh started getting more into like the guitar effects which is kind of our specialty now yeah so, you know things building things cool do you remember the first um guitar pedal you built uh i think i started modding pedals and it was probably a ds1 um just because they're so you know the boss pedal because they're so common and and cheap and if you mess it up you're only out a, a few dollars that you paid for it yes that's awesome my actually my yeah. very first guitar pedal johnny was a boss ds1 yeah 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 and I'm, i still you know to this day i still sell a ton of them uh modified ones and it's it's actually one of my more favorite ones to do because i think it makes you know what i think is a kind of an unusable pedal quite usable and really improves on it cool i think um i think i heard brian wampler say the other day he loves your ds1 mod oh cool yeah I didn't know Brian was aware of it, but that's great. Yeah, I heard. Um, I'll, say, I'll send you a link uh, after after we speak. But the um, yeah, he he's got a show, a podcast, and um, I think it's called Chasing Tone. And they were talking about yep. their favorite cheap pedals. So it's Brian and uh -huh. his co-host, and I'm not sure if it was Brian or his co-host, but one of the guys said he yeah he loves you, loves your mod. Oh yeah, I'd love to check that out. Well, and to you know give credit where credit is due, Brian uh, had. Uh, I think a couple books that were like self-published that were, you know, how to modify guitar effects and they're out of print. I, I see people try and sell them for crazy money online now, but you know, they're pretty readily available. He's, he's, he's definitely paved the way for, you know, people doing what, what I'm doing. So with your early D DS1 mods then, so what, what sort of things would you be doing? Like what sort of things did you get off um, through the Brian Wampler book? You know, the, I mean, the DS1 in particular, there's so many different mods available because it's such a common pedal. So everyone's kind of taking their crack at, you know, improving upon what's there. But I just find the stock one to be pretty fizzy as you turn up the gain and pretty yeah, thin. Sure. And, and so there's some pretty simple changes you can do, partic particularly to the, the diodes to kind of soften it up maybe make it a little more tube sounding mm -hmm. the the mod that i do in particular i kind of call my refer to it as my jcm 800 in a box and so it just makes this nice kind of tube sounding uh you know higher gain but doesn't get uh thin and fizzy as you as you turn it up so if you're doing you know kind of hard rock acdc type of stuff it's, it's perfect for that cool nice yeah nice and um, so when did all of this, when did your modding evolve into Alchemy Audio? When did you make it a professional concern? Well, after we moved to Chicago in 2002, I kind of rediscovered, you know, I'd kind of taken a break from playing in bands, and I actually didn't even play that much guitar for a few years. I always had a few kicking around the house, but I, I kind of put that on the back burner. And then I kind of came back to it and rediscovered it, and it, it was kind of nice to come back you know, with a, a fresh perspective, but, uh, I also started getting into guitar effects and accumulating those. And then just, you know, with my soldering skills that I had already had, I, I thought, you know, maybe I can dive into the world of, you know, modifying these and, and maybe building some from kits. And so I, you know, like I said, I started off modding, um, um, uh, Monty Allums is a big, uh, online 
uh, resource where he, you know, he's got some different kits that you can buy and install yourself. And so okay. I got really into that. Yeah. Then of course you've got all the, all the different internet forums and DIY sites where you can, you know, share knowledge and, and, you know, grab some ideas here and there. And so that's, that's kind of how it started just on my kitchen table, just doing it for my own, you know, as a hobby. And then it just kind of blossomed into, you know, I'd do a few and then some friends would be interested in having me do it for them and I'd do it. And then they, you know, inevitably I'd get, you know, a call from one of their friends and, and, uh, it, it just really grew organically from the beginning. It was just, you know, like I said, just me doing it on my kitchen table. I think when I decided that I wanted to kind of make it, take it to the next level, I created a website, real simple website. I started a Facebook page and I got some business cards because inevitably I'd be running into someone, you know, at a gig or music store and they'd, you know, I'd let them know that, you know, I modded pedals, repaired pedals, and they'd ask if I had a business card. So I figured, sure. you know, I'll add some legitimacy to what I'm doing by getting some business cards printed up. So it really did start on a shoestring budget and then just kind of grew organically from there. That's great. That's cool. I love that word of yeah. mouth thing. Yeah, that's like I said. Oh, it's, it's, it's invaluable. I mean, and, and if, and I think if you do good work and you have a reputation for that and, and providing good service, people find you and, and the word spreads and that's, that's been our main focus from the beginning. Awesome. So what are the, some of the more common mods that people come to you for? Um, it, we do a few things. We, we build stuff from scratch. Um, a lot of BYOC pedals because I am a dealer for them and okay. I think they're cool. really great. And, and I like that they focus on kind of obscure and, and pedals that are out of production, um, and kind of faithful reproductions of those circuits. So we, we do a lot of those. We do a lot of mods to the more common pedals. So like the boss, Ibanez, electroharmonics, just taking the things that a lot of people have in their rigs already yep. and trying to improve on them. So we're, you know, adding features in some cases. We're replacing some of the cheaper circuit components with better quality uh, uh, components so that, you know, they sound better, they're a little quieter. Um, that's, that's pretty much the main thing. Yeah, right. Cool. Are there any... Um... So those pedals we'd all we'd all know and and love in various shades, you know, like a tube screamer or a yes. or a rat. Are there some design? Um, are there some design areas in those pedals that, or any pedal you might mention that that without fail you have to address at some stage? Well, I think with a lot of those common pedals, um, the shortcomings of them are kind of well known, so everyone's kind of trying to achieve the same goal. I, it's, it's interesting when I will get my hands on maybe an old like analog man modded pedal or a Keeley modded one and kind of look and see what was done and maybe compare it to our mods. And 80% of the time we're all kind of doing the same thing with maybe some minor differences here and there. Yeah. Wow. But I think with the common pedals, we're all trying to achieve the same result. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's usually, you know, make them a little quieter if possible, yep. um, upgrade some of the components because, 
you know, the difference between a 10 cent capacitor and maybe a 50 cent one doesn't seem that big. But if you're a company like Boss, where you're producing thousands of pedals, yeah, sure. and it's right to the bottom line, it you can understand why they're taking some shortcuts and just using some of the cheapest available parts. Okay, yeah, right. So you're upgrading to some of the really basic stuff. In in a lot of cases, yeah, we're upgrading. And then, of course, you know, if there's something that I don't like about the sound of the pedal, we're trying to address that as well by changing some values of some of the components and, and just tweak the sound a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cool. And what about, um, what about common repairs? Like, for example, I've got, um, I've got a Line 6 M13. Which, uh-huh. I, which I really love. I use analog uh-huh. dirt boxes, but I use the M13 for a lot of modulation and delays and things. Um, yep. But I'm petrified of breaking a switch because they've got a really bad rap because the switches, I think they're mounted straight onto the circuit. Um, yeah, it's kind of the Achilles heel of those uh, Line 6 pedals is the, the foot switches are, are uh, prone to failure. So I, I, I upgrade a lot of switches in those units that... The different, you know, the DL6 and the, I've done some yeah, to the yeah. M. And uh-huh. Yeah. So, you're, so yeah, you're, are there any other, are there any other common things like that that you see a lot or that you, that people are aware of? Yeah, I would say half of our business is probably repairs. So we mm-hmm. get a lot of stuff sent to us from people, um, both vintage and modern that are in need of some type of repair. Uh, foot switches are a pretty common uh, repair. Um, oftentimes people will send us something that just isn't working at all. And, um, many times it's a victim of, uh, having the wrong type of power supply plugged into it or maybe, you know, the wrong polarity. Someone tried to plug a power supply from, uh, answering machine that they had sitting around the house. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen all kinds of crazy stuff. And, um, the the good news is oftentimes it's a simple repair because most modern circuits and pedals have uh, a protection diode built into it. Okay, yeah. Uh, it's kind of like a fuse, so if it does its job properly, that will blow, and then that's all you do is before just the circuit will. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Before it damages any other components, but you know it's not it's not a hundred percent effective. And there are instances where it takes out some other circuit components and then you've got to replace those as well. Sure. Yeah. That's a classic, Hey, the, uh, the wrong power supply, like, you know, it it was the right size plug. So I just shoved it in. Yeah. Well, and you know, if you've got a, a a decent power supply, like a voodoo lab pedal power has both nine and 18 volts Mm -hmm. outputs and, it's it's very easy to just grab the 18 volt one, not not knowing, and then plug it into one of your nine volt pedals, and and uh, that can easily damage it. Yeah, right. What's um what's the craziest mod you've been asked to perform? Um, I've done some some recasing of of pedals, so you know maybe someone's got uh, and it's usually some of the cheaper mass produced stuff like a Dan Electro pedal or something where they want it put into a, a bigger enclosure uh-huh. and then, uh, you know, put some sturdier jacks and, and, uh, potentiometers and kind of make it more gig worthy. And, um, those are fun. They're, 
they can be very time consuming and then as a result be very expensive. So suddenly this $30 pedal that you're trying to rehouse is now a $300 pedal. Uh, okay. <laughs> but they're challenging because yeah, yeah. You, you've got to replace a lot of components, uh, a lot of the hardware, I should say, and then, and then figure out, you know, how it's going to fit in this new enclosure and then drill that out and, and, you know, get everything to work properly. But I mean, those are, those are fun challenges for me because it goes beyond just the standard mods that we do and, and repairs that we, you know, we've done hundreds of that, you know, are, are pretty easy for us. Sure. Yep. Cool. Can I, um, can I ask you some general sort of pedal questions, Johnny? I'm interested in, in your take on some, uh, often debated topics. Sure. Can you explain, Oh, I mean, I've got I've got the idea in my head, but our listeners might have different ideas. Can you explain the difference between um, a true bypass pedal and something with a buffered input? Yeah, well, and this is this is a question I get a lot from people, and there's it's definitely a source of debate amongst people. And uh, you know, for anyone who who doesn't know, basically, you know, true bypass means when the pedal is not on, your signal is passing into it through the switch and out and not going through the circuit at all. Mm -hmm. uh, thus it's bypassing the circuit. And, uh, in theory, you should not lose any tone because, uh, it's just passing in and out, uh, just as if you had a cable plugged directly from your guitar into your amp. Um, if the pedal has a buffered bypass, like all the common boss and Ibanez pedals, yeah. it means that, it still is going through the circuit, even when the pedal's off, and there is a buffer circuit to boost the the signal that's coming out of your guitar, which is a low level, um, into uh, your amp. So it uh, there's advantages and disadvantages to both. I think for anyone who has a lot of pedals on a pedal board that happen to be true bypass, it's probably worthwhile to have some type of buffer Okay. Um, in the circuit, whether that's just a standalone kind of external one. And, and there's a, several companies that make them. I think I have one made by JHS that's on uh, a board of mine that I really like a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, the most common way to insert a buffer into your chain would probably just get like a boss tuner that has a pretty decent buffer in it. And everyone, you know, they're very common and readily available and inexpensive and, if you put one of those in your chain, now you've got uh, a buffer in your chain. Sure. Uh, and a tuner. So I guess, yeah, yeah, exactly, which yeah, everyone needs. <laughs> uh, so I guess, you know, the 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 debate could go on forever about what I, – I don't think there you can say definitively that one is necessarily better than another. Um, but personally, I wouldn't um, – rule out a pedal either way because it was true bypass or buffer you know if it sounds good yeah um who cares you know it all goes back to you know the days of uh when when effects first came out onto the scene and and you know Jimi hendrix did not care whether something was true bypass or not and, and back yes. then they didn't have true bypass pedals and yeah he seemed to you know make things sound pretty decent he pulled a tone yeah it went okay <laughs> <laughs> so but I get that question a lot. I think it's even on my my fact page on my website about you know because someone will ask if it's true bypass and and it's it's fine to ask. I I just think that there's a lot of times people will ask because they think 
it's something they should be asking rather than having an understanding of, of what it is and why you may or may not want that. Sure, sure. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's and a lot of people get very passionate about it and a lot of people, like yourself, just seem to have quite a, more of a practical view, whether it's yeah. sounding good or not. So, yeah, some, interesting. Some of that tone loss or the way your tone is affected by a, a buffered bypass pedal it can be part of someone's sound. I mean, I, I know I've read you with, with, with Nels Klein of Wilco, yeah. and he's like, yeah, there's probably tons of tone loss and tone change going on in my rig, but that's part of my sound. You know, uh -huh. he's just kind of, it's evolved, and it's, it's you know, he takes that along with, uh, what, you know, with whatever the effects are doing that, uh, that he's using in his rig, so. Cool. Nice. How about things like um, fuzz pedals? I've got... Um... A good mate of mine, Sean Bennett, shout out, um, uh, built me his beautiful germanium fuzz face style pedal, which I absolutely love. Played on the gig last night, had a great time. Yeah. Now that needs to go up near the front of my chain. Yes. Because there's some issue with the, uh, it doesn't seem to like buffers before it. Can you explain how that idea works? Oh man, there's people that are much smarter than me that can probably... <laughs> <laughs> better explain this but yeah the the short answer is that buffers do weird things to to fuzz pedals and and they don't like to see uh a buffered signal um coming into them so you know that's why in general you know if you can make generalities and then pedal chain order is another thing that we could talk endlessly about mm -hmm. um you know fuzz um, wah pedals like to be up toward the front of the chain, and um, if if you don't have them up there, you know that would be the first thing I would experiment with. If someone's getting some weirdness between you know a couple of pedals not playing together nicely, or uh, something not sounding the way they think it should, um, start removing pedals from the chain, or just experiment with the the order to come up with something that you like, but. That's another thing where I'm not really sold on any like hard and fast rules because I've worked with enough people that have some pretty unconventional uh, pedal chain orders okay, that yep. work for them and they make incredible sounds with it. And who am I to say, you know, oh, this should actually be up toward the front of your chain and this should be over here. You know, if, if they do it this way and it sounds great, that's all that really matters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that can be a lot of fun too. I remember um, just even moving my compressor around. I, I used to, not that I use a compressor much anymore, but I used to always put it at the front of my chain because that's what you did. Mm -hmm. One day I put it after my overdrives and I kind of like that too. It was just a... Yeah. Not, I don't know, not better, just different. Just a different situation. Yeah, noise gates are another one too that people can kind of experiment with the placement of it and it'll really behave differently depending on where you have it in the chain like toward the beginning or toward the end cool nice hey you mentioned um nine volt versus 18 volt now this is something i've never done because i've never had a pedal that can run off 18 volts but what's what's going on there because i know that's a bit of a thing yeah well there are, there are pedals and you obviously would want to check before you <laughs> begin experimenting yeah, yeah. but 
some of the full tone stuff comes to mind. I know the OCD is probably one of the best known ones and, and uh, you can supply anywhere from nine to 18 volts safely mm -hmm. to the pedal without damaging it. And there will be a pretty noticeable difference in sound. Um, 18 volts is going to give you like, you know, what's called like more headroom mm. to the circuit. And, um, it's just, it, it, I think it's a nice feature if you're designing a circuit from the ground up and, and, uh, you know, want to be able to offer that. And there's some people that prefer the nine, some people that prefer the 18, but, uh, most pedals I would say can withstand a certain amount of, uh, over voltage, uh, -huh. Uh, you know, there's people that will safely run, you know, some of the boss pedals on 12 volts without damaging them. And they like the sound that that has. Okay. But again, like, I, I can't recommend yes. it. Yes. Uh, Don't try this like, at home, kids. It's my repair business, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you always want to check first because it, it is easy to damage stuff if you're supplying too much voltage to yeah, it. Yeah, sure. When when you say headroom, I mean I know what that means for an amp, obviously, but for a pedal, what, what does that mean? Say like an OCD, a you know a great drive pedal. What what does more headroom mean for that? Uh boy, that's a good question. I don't. It's know really if I can subjective really... too. I know. I'm sorry. That's um. Yeah. But I do. So hear like people... I, I'm not uh, formally trained in electronics, so we yeah. should, we should call Robert Keeley, and he yes, can yes. <laughs> he can more intelligently explain what's going on under the hood than than I could in that scenario. Sure, but in terms of tone, you know, like if like yeah, you know, headroom in an amp makes sense. It's not breaking up as early. Is that yes? Is that the same sort of thing for a pedal? Yeah, yeah, and you'll hear a difference. Um, between the two. So it's not, it's not so subtle that I think the average person couldn't tell a difference. Uh -huh. uh, that's why for like with pedals where it's safe to do so, I would say experiment and see what you like because yeah, uh, I've, I've heard, I've read topics where, you know, people prefer the nine, yeah. they prefer the 18. It can go either way depending on, on your rig and just your, your preference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. I was reading on your website. Um, You've worked with some really interesting artists and or bands, um, people like Wilco and uh, people from the John Mayer band. What can you tell me about some of the artists you've worked with? Yeah, I mean, we've been doing it long enough where we're starting to build up a you know a list of clients and a reputation, and and awesome. so we have done work for everyone from the you know the hobbyist guitarist that's just you know playing for fun in their in their living room to people that tour the world and. Uh, you know, being in Chicago, we've got, uh, you know, a, a good pool of local talent to draw from. So I've done some stuff for, uh, the guys in Wilco, um, as well as Smashing Pumpkins. Um, Doug Pettibone's been another client of mine who's actually one of my favorite guitar players. He does oh, a lot yeah. of stuff. He used wow, to play cool. in Cinder Williams band and yeah, he's done some right. stuff. Most recently, with I think War on Drugs, he was playing with for a while. Uh -huh. uh, but he's just a real great, all-around, amazing guitar player, and you know he does pedal steel as well as uh, six-string guitar, and cool. he, he can kind of do it all. And he's he's really incredible. Awesome. Did the um did the Smashing Pumpkins drop off a truckload of big muffs? Was that their uh? <laughs> uh Jeff Schroeder, the guitar <laughs> player in that band, has been a a, a 
frequent client of ours. And, you know, as you, you can imagine, he's got a pretty large collection of gear. And so I've done some, some different mods and repairs for him. And, and, uh, he's done, you know, in addition to the smashing pumpkin stuff, he's, he's done some other side stuff that, uh, that he's been involved in. So his, his rig is constantly changing depending on the project and, and, uh, it, he's, he's a really great guy. So it's been, it's been really, so it's always nice when you meet those people mm-hmm. and they t- turn out to be very, you know, humble, generous, nice, uh, you know, rather than the alternative. <laughs> where, sure. But uh, I, I think that's usually the case when you get to a certain level of success yeah. where, uh, you know, you've, you've been doing it a long time. I, I think they're, they're generally more appreciative and, and just humble and nice when they're dealing with, you know, someone like myself who's doing some work for them or just other musicians they're working with. Because I, I just don't think in general that you can get to that kind of level by just being a jerk to people and yeah, and absolutely not appreciative. So that that's been my experience, which has been really, really great. Yeah, that's cool. I kind of think too. We, I mean, maybe not with everyone, but with a lot of guys, once once you do get to a high level of success, um, maybe there's you know you're not trying to prove anything. You're just you're confident, you're secure of what you're doing and who you are. Um, yes, and that's that's good for everyone you're dealing with. I totally agree with you. The, the, some of the people that can be a little difficult, I think, are the ones that are still kind of climbing that ladder, uh-huh. and maybe they're not quite at that level of like a Wilco or Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, yeah. And so they, they maybe they don't have that humility yet. Um, those that's the times when you know, on occasion, it can be a little difficult. But uh, you know, like, like I said, we treat all the clients with the same kind of courtesy and respect and, and level of service as if they, you know, whether they're a famous rock star or just some guy that wants to unwind after work and play guitar, um, they're equally important to us. So. Cool. Yeah. Nice. I mean, yeah, of course that's, I mean, that's no doubt why you're doing well and getting good word of mouth as well. That's, that's very, very cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, slightly off topic but maybe not is is it true you uh brew your own beer it is <laughs> when time permits yeah i mean and that, and that actually kind of ties into the the diy aesthetic i yeah, mean i, I kind of thought that yeah yeah i'm very much into creating and you know doing stuff with my hands and figuring out how things work and doing it myself and <laughs> cool so i think there's a lot of parallels you could make to you know, working on guitar pedals and, and, you know, brewing beer or I like to cook a lot. So, you know, doing mm-hmm. cooking or, you know, it, 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 there's a, the process is similar that, you know, that goes behind it, I think. Yeah. Give me a beer versus pedal analogy in terms of building <laughs> or modding. Well, I think the one parallel I can draw is that with both of them, I really think we're in kind of the golden age of, boutique pedals and you know i guess what i'd consider like micro breweries or craft breweries oh, yeah absolutely yeah or i mean even just in chicago to use that as an example there's a ton of pedal builders that are based here yeah. that are offering boutique pedals there's a ton of breweries it seems like every week i read about a new one opening up mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and 
you know, in a world today where everything is becoming um, condensed and businesses are merging and these big giant corporations are are swallowing up, you know, other ones, it almost seems like in both the pedals and beer industries, it's going the opposite direction where people are, you know, deciding they want to try and build a better mousetrap and opening up their own company and making a go of it. And I think that's, that's really refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. Literally in some cases. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That was so bad. That was a bad drawing of that pun, but yes, talking about the mousetrap, have you, um, so you said you, you build a lot of the BYOC stuff, but have you got any of your own takes on, on certain designs or your, your own designs that you want to unleash? the, the biggest challenge for us, because right now it's just my wife and I that work in the shop on a daily basis. So we're, okay. we're a small company compared to a lot of the, the others. Sure. And the biggest challenge for us is finding that time to carve out to do R&D and building stuff. And we've been experimenting a lot lately with, with breadboarding circuits and trying to come up with our own design. Mm-hmm. Um, but we stay so busy with, with mods and repairs that that's that's always the challenge is you know here's these things that make us money that are our livelihood and then you know there's this time that we have to try and set aside to um you know build stuff create a a circuit from scratch and all the time that goes into that is the time where you're not really getting paid you know the payoff isn't immediate for that stuff sure yes yeah you know it's it's in the works um you know and the and the other consideration is i want to do stuff that is a is an interesting take on an on an effect or it offers something different because i've said before like the last thing that someone needs from me is another fuzz pedal in the market so unless it's something kind of unique and interesting yeah um, there's people that do that stuff so much better um than i think i would be capable of doing so you know let them run with it and i'll just you know i i feel like we've really carved out a niche for doing like mods and repairs yeah and we're good at it and there's not a lot of people that are doing it uh these days so it you know it it really works for us uh currently yeah sure sure so yeah obviously you've got the immediate stuff which sounds like you're pretty you're pretty full-on busy with what um yes but what, what kind of designs are you messing around with on your breadboard are you talking about drives uh, I, or yeah yeah i love fuzz circuits obviously yeah. um i've been working on uh kind of an original wah design where you know obviously i just drop it in like a, a crybaby shell okay yeah. Uh, but it would it would be a circuit that i would that i would kind of build from the ground up with some extra features um probably one of my most favorite effects is tremolo so i've always had an interest in doing kind of a vintage inspired uh tremolo because i love uh old you know fender amp tremolo and i I, it'd be fun to do a take on that so that that might be something that i'll that i'll release um those are the main things cool nice yeah awesome so with with tremolo um and again this is a nerdy maybe beginner question but uh, there's um like I read about optical tram versus is it a bias tram or mm-hmm. yeah what what what's your take what what do you 
what sort of circuit are you interested in? Um, probably my my favorite one that I've that I've uh, I've never owned one. I wish I did, but uh, there's that old Diamond uh, tremolo from the '50s that uh, actually used a little cylinder that was filled with uh, God. It was like a fluid, and I can't remember what it what it had in it. I know wow. when people store them, they put like Windex or something in them, which wow. kind of achieves this. But that fluid would rock back and forth, and then there was a little optical sensor that would, uh, you know, sit where that that canister is rocking back and forth, and that would create the the tremolo effect. That is uh, crazy. That's... Those, so there's, there's some cool demos online if you haven't seen those. But yeah, uh, I'll check that out. That sounds amazing. Man, those are those are fun to mess around with. <laughs> um, yeah, everyone kind of has their own preference that's that's another effect uh kind of like fuzz where people really have their preference over you know one over the other yeah, and, yeah. and it, for a seemingly simple effect there's a lot of different variations out there that uh that people really gravitate toward wow i can imagine online people are arguing over the best type of windex to put in there exactly. yeah yeah like trim. <laughs> Oh, that's very, very cool. Yes. Awesome. So, um, man, you sound like you've got you sound like you got your work cut out for you. But if, um, is there anything else coming up for Alchemy uh, in the new year? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm working on a project with uh, another builder. Um, he designed uh, a circuit for the Lab Series uh, L5 amps. Are you oh, familiar yeah, with those? Yeah, yeah, the solid state yeah. kind yeah, of yeah. I mean, cult cult following. Those amps they have. do, and, yeah. I, and I think you know, among a lot of people, they have the most tube-like sound for a solid-state amp. And so, what what uh, this guy Kevin from Ann Electronics did is took the preamp section of those amplifiers and built, uh, you know, a pedal um, from that. And so he did the PCB design and. Um, kind of offers it as like DIY kits for someone that would be interested in building it. And I'm going to do a small run of those for oh, people cool. that you know would prefer to just buy kind of off the shelf completed build that's been fully assembled and Great. tested and calibrated by us. But it's it's a you know a two channel preamp with you know fully adjustable EQs, parametric EQs, and uh, I mean, it's crazy. There's, you know, about 12 pots on the thing. So it's, it does a lot of stuff in a, a pedal form and, um, it, it, it'll be a fun project. It's, it's a, it's a pretty challenging build. And, uh, I think the, the end result, I've, I've been doing some, some video demos with the, the prototype that I built and, Great. um, ready to start taking pre-orders for those. So that, that'll something like that, where we're going to do a small run of those and it's a, pretty complex build and a, a, a pretty large project. I mean, something like that is, you know, when we're a company the size that we are, we can, that'll be something that can keep us busy for, you know, weeks to come. Yeah, cool. Nice. Very, very cool. Is there a, is there a rough date when, when that'll come out? If you're taking pre-orders now, what, what are you working towards? Yeah, so we're going to take pre-orders so just so we can procure the parts and, and components needed for it. And then, uh, you know, the, they'll start shipping in the order that they were, you know, 
paid for and once all the parts are are procured it, it, it'll just be a matter of weeks to you know assemble them and and start shipping them out cool very very so, cool you know that'll be something that I'll I'll definitely announce on the website and on social media once they're ready to to start going yeah great so I was going to say, what, what's the best way for people to keep up? So you've got your website, which is alchemyaudio.com? Uh, alchemy-audio. Don't oh, forget the hyphen. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's that's the website. And then yeah. I'm pretty active on both Instagram and Facebook. So I would, I would say if you want to just kind of keep up on the day-to-day stuff that we're doing and what we're working on, um, I try and stay pretty current with those and just posting photos of, you know, what's currently on the bench and what yeah, we're working cool. on. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I see a lot of your stuff on Instagram. It's great. You had like a very Thanks. vintage, um, you had a big box rat on the other day and a, a very yeah, old yeah. Phase 90 with barely any orange paint left. That was very cool. Oh, that was a fun. Yeah, both those were sent to me by the same guy and uh, uh-huh. you could tell they were well-loved and well-gigged. Yeah, man. Awesome. And the rat was just in for kind of an upgrade because those ones did not have the LED on them. Oh, okay, yeah. So I... I installed an led on there and put a more modern nine volt dc power jack on it so it's oh, compatible okay. you know the kind of boss style connectors yeah, yeah. and then the phase 90 was not working and it was also the victim of uh over voltage so it oh. had that die circuit that i mentioned earlier yeah. that was, uh that had failed so we got that you know repaired and calibrated and working properly and uh, those things are ready for another 30 years of, uh, of gigging and awesome. service. <laughs> Very cool. That's yeah. great. Johnny, it's, it sounds like it's still fun for you, all this stuff. It sounds like you're having a good time plugging in these old pedals once you fix them as well. And It's great. And, and that's what I love about what we're doing is it's always different. We come in every day and you've got different things on the shelves that you either have to build or repair and so it's not just cranking out like, you know, we've got to get these 30 of the same pedal built and, and out the door. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. So nice. I, I love that variation where it's just you never know what's going to show up in the mail and, and what you're going to have to work on. And when the as far as the repairs are concerned, it's just always fun to troubleshoot and diagnose something and figure out why it's not working and how you can get it working again. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for talking with us this morning, um, well, this afternoon yeah. for you, or whenever anyone listens. Yes. Uh, <laughs> great to have you on. That's what I'm trying to say. And, yeah, likewise. Um, I really enjoyed it. I loved the podcast and keep up the great work. Cheers. Thank you so much. Yeah. And you too. So, um, yeah, we'd encourage everyone to check out Johnny's web and his Instagram and his Facebook and look out for this new run of pedals. And... Uh, if you're anywhere vaguely near Chicago, um, Johnny would be your, your guy for modding and, and repairs yes. as well. And we we ship stuff all over the world. I mean, pedals are cheap and easy enough to send through the mail. So yeah, oh, cool. We actually have a, a fair amount of Australian customers, which is always kind of surprising to wow, me. That awesome. Even even across the pond, they hear about us. So, Great. Uh, yeah. Well, there you go. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'll keep that in mind. If I ever buy back my Boss DS1 that I bought in 86 and sold in 90 or something, I'll, uh, I'd love to get a listen to your mod. We'll talk after the show. I'll send you a demo. Okay. 
<laughs> all right johnny thank you so much and um yeah take care I'd love to talk to you again sometime all right thanks matt thanks johnny all right bye-bye all right there you go my interview with johnny balmer from alchemy audio and he's doing some really great stuff there in chicago so definitely check out his um his facebook instagram and his, his website and, and see what's happening there all right thank you for joining us on the guitar speak podcast now there is lots of more guitar speak podcast goodness back in our archives we've got another 28 odd episodes i think you can check out all for free at guitarspeakpodcast.libson.com or you can subscribe to us on itunes and have our episode delivered every week likewise you can subscribe to us via stitcher we are on the Facebooks as well and on the Instagrams. So you can follow us there and keep up to date with all that's going on. Um, I keep saying this every week, but I've got a bunch of great interviews I have recorded or I'm about to record. So um, really stay tuned. Got some great guitar players, builders, lots of different people coming up. So I'm really excited about what's coming up over the uh, December, January period. All right, as promised, I'm going to play a track from the 442 Christmas album. Now, the album's called Bless All the Dear Children, and the track I'm going to play is called Cricket's Season, and it's by a side project I actually do called St. Jambience. So, spoiler alert, self-promotion alert. All right, there, I've said it. But, um, yeah, it's kind of an ambient track involving some of the wildlife you might hear around Sydney, certainly around my little home studio this time of year all right thanks again for tuning in uh, to the guitar speak podcast and hope to see you next time okay bye now